for my birthday way back at the start of the year, the kids got me a model rocket. And it was a fairly simple rocket to make. It was a, it was a beginner's kit, so the kids and I made it together. And we hadn't had a chance to launch it. And so a couple of weeks ago, we had a family do at our place with, with, with a bunch of the family. And um, we're all sitting around in the lounge room and I look across at one of my brothers and go, hey, we could launch a rocket today. What do you reckon? It's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, cool, no worries. So it's like, oh, I don't know whether it's all together or ready to go, but we'll just, let's wing it. So we scrambled, someone found batteries, someone found charger, someone found the bits and the pieces and, and uh, we cobbled the things together. And, oh, I wonder what the weather's like. Oh, it's all right, yeah, cool, we'll be fine. And so we headed down to the Arena Oval and we decided to launch this rocket. And I'll show you the launch. So this is the rocket. And, um, and this is it. So the, the, I play the, the launch gets played twice. The first time's at full speed and the second time's 10 times slowed down, if that makes sense. That's it. Gone, never to be seen again. <laughs> Lucky I took a video of it, hey. We saw it go up and then we kind of saw it go up and then nobody saw it come down. <laughs> so by the time it gets to the top, it's a little speck in the sky. And, um, and it was never seen again. I don't know, some cows chewing on a rocket in a paddock near, uh, near Officer. We probably weren't as prepared as we thought we were. The rocket was, was prepared, the rocket was ready, but we, um, we didn't bother putting our name on it. We didn't bother standing back far enough to actually see where it landed. Um, there was a bunch of things that we weren't actually that prepared about with that rocket launch, and the result is that rocket's gone. I'll come back to the rocket a bit later on. It, I, I want to talk about being prepared today. And um, I haven't put the passage on the screen because the amount of words will scare some people. But I just want you to read and soak and hear. And if, you, if you're a words person, then feel free to, to follow along. From Matthew. This is Jesus getting prepared. Starting at Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist began preaching in the Judean wilderness. His message was, turn from your sins and turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is near. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for him. John's clothes were woven from camel hair and he wore a leather belt. His food was locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from every section of Judea and from all over the Jordan Valley went out to the wilderness to hear him preach. And when they confessed their sins, he baptised them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptised, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee from God's coming judgment? Prove by the way you live that you have, that you have really turned from your sins and turned to God. Don't just say, we're safe, we're the descendants of Abraham. That proves nothing. God can change these stones here into children of Abraham. Even now, the axe of, God, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever your roots. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptise with water those who turn from their sins and turn to God. 
but someone is coming sooner, soon, who is far greater than I am. So much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chafe from the grain with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, storing the grain in his barn, but burning the chafe with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptised by John. But John didn't want to baptise him. I am the one who needs to be baptised by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it must be done, because we must do everything that is right. So then John baptised him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, and I am fully pleased with him. Then Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted there by the devil. For forty days and forty nights he ate nothing and became very hungry. Then the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, change these stones into loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, He orders his angels to protect you, and they will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking a foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, do not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to, the, to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him the nations of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will only kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and cared for Jesus. All four Gospels have that story with, with varying um, degree of detail. They all start Jesus' ministry with this journey, with this period of time. Most of us love spring or summer, but when it comes to preparation, when it comes to doing the groundwork, the winter season stuff, we're often not so keen. We're not so excited. And yet here we can see that even Jesus, the Son of God, had a season of preparation, had a time that he was preparing from. Because to produce fruit, you've got to do the preparation. And Jesus recognised that and the Holy Spirit recognised that as he led Jesus. The first thing that happened, and Jesus didn't need this, John the Baptist dealt with this part, was the aspect of repentance. The word went out from John the Baptist and most of the area came out to see John at some point as he wandered down the Jordan River sharing about this need to prepare the way, to prepare the way for Jesus. And that meant turning from your own way, attitude, your own desires, and turning to God's way. There's something new coming. Prepare, get ready. 
prepare by focusing back on God. Repentance. The second thing was anointing or vision. And we can see this happened when John baptised Jesus. There was a setting apart. It's interesting in um, Luke's gospel, from here on, every section for the next couple of blocks, it was full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus went and did this. Full of the Holy Spirit, he went into the wilderness. Full of the Holy Spirit, he went back into, into town and started, started preaching. This was a point at which he was set apart. He was anointed. He was, he was given his mandate. He already had it, but this is the point at which Jesus was set apart for the ministry that he was called to. But his preparation didn't stop there. He then went out to the desert for 40 days and ate nothing. And this is, this is something that you kind of go, wow, this is a bit weird. For the Son of God, full of the Holy Spirit, to still need to get away and to spend time testing that vision, testing that anointing, because he had an opposition that was serious. And in that time, you can see the testing that happened, the, the challenging that happened that was refining that, that position that he stood in, that was, in a way, challenging that anointing and vision. And these three things are really significant in being prepared. And we're not foreign to these things. Last weekend, we actually saw these same three things. In Nehemiah 1, we see Nehemiah prayed and fasted. He heard the news from what was, what was happening out at, um, back home with the remnant. And he broke down and wept and spent days praying and fasting. He then prayed for God to forgive the people. Forgive us for our sins and those sins of our fathers. The anointing and vision is an interesting one because in Jesus' situation, God came down like a dove and said, I'm pleased with my son. Does anyone remember what happened with Nehemiah? What did he do after he prayed this? After he, in one we hear his prayer, in the start of two, he goes and sees the king. And his prayer, at the end of his prayer, he prays, please give me favour with the king, God. Please give me an opportunity. Because he was a servant of the king. In, in some ways, he was a slave because he was in exile. So he had a high position, but he was still serving the king. And so for him, he wanted the blessing of the king to be able to, the, the, the anointing, the, the being set apart. He needed the king to release him. And what happened for Nehemiah? Boy, did the king release him. He went, it's yours. You can go and say that I sent you. You can have people, you can have money, you can have resources. In fact, I'm going to get everyone else to get resources for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to get everybody to pile into your project. Mate, what sort of an anointing, a setting apart is that? To have your king, obviously God was the ultimate authority, but, but the God allowed a foreign king to anoint him and release him to go and do what he had to do. And it's an amazing picture, in, particularly for his time, of a miracle at work, of God doing an amazing thing. Prayer and fasting, repentance, and a sense of anointing and vision. These are good things. Often we think about 
these things, anointing and vision not so much, but the other two, we kind of think about them as duties, as, as things that either we're ashamed of or we have to endure to get to the good stuff. But this is actually the good stuff. This is part of the good stuff. And both in Jesus' preparation and Nehemiah's preparation, we can see the same, same picture, the same need to be prepared. See, praying and fasting isn't a hunger strike. Sometimes we get this idea that fasting is, is like, you know, the equivalent to tying yourself to a tree um, and saying to God, I'm not leaving until you do what I ask you to. Um, I'm sorry to say you can't twist God's arm behind his back and make him do what you want him to. <laughs> That's not the aim of fasting. But it is significant. Jesus fasted and he assumed his disciples would fast. He says at one point, when you, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees. So it wasn't like if you fast, he's saying when you fast. So you're going to fast, but I, I want you to, to do it in a humble way. Fasting is a personal and spiritual exercise of humility, devotion, and worship. It seems a little silly and, um, and, and without our very, very consumer-oriented uh, world that we live in, culture that we live in, fasting doesn't quite feel the same as I imagine it would when, when you had a very simple life. But it doesn't make it any less significant. Fasting is a simple act of foregoing food for a period of time, letting go of something physical, letting go of something that we need to reflect on our dependence on God. So first and foremost, it's a, it's a position of humility because it, it means that we need God, it, but it's also a position of devotion and worship. Fasting is worship. It's saying, God, and we say this, you know, there's songs that say this, you're all that I need. It's a nice phrase, isn't it? The end of the first day of not eating. Oh, I'm not so sure about that anymore. <laughs> Maybe you're not quite all that I need. Maybe I need to eat now. It's, it's actually a place of, of worship where we go, God, you are all that I need. And I want to exercise that. I want to demonstrate that. I want to worship in this way of fasting. But it's not just that. Fasting in that place of intimacy, in that place of surrender, in that place of sacrifice is actually a really valuable place of character and intimacy, of growing, of development. It gives you an opportunity to hear and respond to the Holy Spirit. And it also breaks strongholds, oppression and injustice. You go, how can giving up some food do that? See, we, we separate things. I've said this many times. You, you, you know this. I say it over and over again. We always want to divide things and compare them. And so we put physical things in one spot and spiritual things in another. And we think they're separate. They're not separate. We're spiritual beings as much as we are physical beings. And what looks like for going food is actually a spiritual act. It's a spiritual action. It's like praying. They're just words. They're just words. They're powerful words. They're words that can change, that can heal, that can transform. And in the same way, Spiritually, fasting and praying are a, are a way of 
making a spiritual action happen as well. It's not about twisting God's arm, but it is about coming into alignment with what he wants to do. It's about rhythm. It's about sacrifice. It's about seeing the way God sees. And prayer and fasting is preparation. I'd really encourage you, if you haven't experienced prayer and fasting, um, to chat to someone who has. That's a really good place to, to learn and to grow. And I'm going to come back to this a little bit later on. But I just wanted to give you a bit of a picture of what it is so that you don't misunderstand or don't, don't take it somewhere that it's not, not going. Repentance is another thing that we sometimes struggle with. But repentance is a beautiful gift. It, it is an amazing thing to be offered. I'm sure there's been times where the opportunity has gone to ask for forgiveness from somebody. And just that little thing in the back of your mind going, I wonder how they went with that. I wonder how that turned out. I wonder, how they, I wonder if they're still hurting from that. But God makes sure that's never the case with us. He always gives us an opportunity to repent, to be able to say, God, I had my own ideas. I did my own thing. I was selfish. I want to come back to you. This is Jesus talking about his father. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. This idea of pruning is actually by design that even the things that produce good fruit need pruning. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a rose bush in winter. My um, my ro- my mum keeps telling me to cut more and more off, so I got pretty brutal this year um, pruning the roses. They look really sad. They're just a couple of sticks sticking up out of the ground, basically. But I'm told I'm I'm told with on good authority from people who know way better than me that they love it because when it comes to the season of flowering, they're in the best place to flower and produce amazing, beautiful-looking roses. And this is God's intention for us too, that we would know and be fruitful and that we'd be prepared for that by being God-focused. If we're distracted and looking around at other places, we're not going to be as fruitful. So it's actually a really good thing to come to a place of repentance. It's actually a beautiful gift that we've been given. Anointing and vision, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. Just think about that for a second. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's pretty phenomenal. The idea that he has a plan and a purpose and he wants to release us into that that there are amazing things for every single person in this room. There is a plan and a purpose and that you are actually a masterpiece and that you were designed. It's not that Jesus just came in after repentance and went, oh, you want to hang out with me? Uh, Yeah, okay, you can go over there. There's something for you to do, keep you occupied. It actually was part of the plan was that each of us are set apart 
are set apart for a purpose. And sometimes we struggle to understand this idea of being anointed, of having vision, of having purpose. But it is part of preparing. We've got to do it. It's significant. A race car. Now, I'm not a big car person. But I do know a race car needs three things to go well. Power. Needs a power source. Good race car has lots of power. Yeah? Engine, drivetrain, fuel, all that stuff needs to be full of power. But that's not all it needs. It needs something else. You need to have some way of controlling it. There's no use having all this power if you can't actually control the vehicle. And so the second part that a race car needs is to be able to steering wheel, wheels, wheels with great rubber on them that can attach to the road and control the, the car where it's going. Third thing is efficiency. Needs to be light, needs to be lean, needs to be aerodynamic, needs to not have anything holding it back. Yeah? This, all, this is not, I'm not a car person, this isn't, this isn't advanced car stuff. They're just three basic things that if you want to go fast in a car, you've got to have these three things. And if any one of these things is, um, is not behaving, as anyone that's been in my Telstar would know, you don't have a race car. <laughs> Lawnmower, as some people call it. You, you, if you don't have these three things, in fact, I don't think my Telstar has any of these three things, and so there's no way it would be a very good race car. Has anyone done this? Like all bumper cars? Can I just say, these are the most frustrating activities at a show ever. I just find these things frustrating. Do you know why? Because they don't have any of those three things. They don't have any power. They don't have any control. And they're definitely not efficient. And you just aimlessly, randomly drive around bumping into people. I find them really frustrating. Which is the opposite... To that, go-karts are the exact opposite in that they have power, enough, some people would want more, they have great control, they're very nimble, and they're actually very light machines. Now, when, if, who's done go-karting before? It's quite an expensive exercise, so we've thought about doing it a few times and it's just price prohibitive, so... Um, if you've ever done it before, it can get really, really competitive. It can get very, very competitive because there's a goal. There's an objective. There's an end line. There's a track. You're not this big area that you're just aimlessly bouncing into with each other like the um, bumper cars. Now, my experience is mine didn't have enough power. That's my excuse. In actual fact, the efficiency of the weight of the vehicle was larger than the other people driving, so I was um, weighing it down. So mine didn't go as fast as the other ones, which meant I didn't have a chance of winning. But it's an, it's an awesome picture of these three attributes, power, control, and efficiency. And we all look at that and go, awesome, when you're building a car, that makes sense. But these are actually the same three things that we just experienced in the start of Jesus' ministry and the start of Nehemiah's ministry. They're actually the same three things. 
sin holds us back. In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we surround, we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witness to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. It's actually part of our design that we let go of the stuff that's not going to help us run fast. Repentance, as I said before, is a gift, but it's also something that helps us prepare, helps us be ready for what it is God wants us to do. It's not about ripping our hearts out, squashing it in the ground and making us feel bad. Sometimes the grief that comes with the fact that we've just stuffed it up is there. That's very real. And I'm not trying to downplay that. That's a significant part of our repentance is going, God, I stuffed it up. But that's not the goal of repentance. God could do that so much easier. <laughs> he could make us feel much worse than he does because his goal is not to do that. His goal is to put us in a place ready and prepared to do what he wants to do, what his design was, what his master plan was. And so that's why we need to be efficient. That's why we need to strip off those things, get rid of the stuff that's holding us back, get rid of the stuff that's weighing us down, get rid of the stuff that's preventing us from understanding and seeing and stepping out into what God wants us to do. Let's get rid of it because we're going to be way more efficient then. And that's what we hear in Hebrews. Let it go. Run the race. Don't be tied down. Can you think about a, a boat trying to drive along with its anchor dragging on the ground? It's not going very far, very fast. And that's like our lives. Repentance is awesome. It's a blessing and it's an opportunity for us to let go of those things and run the race the way God wanted us to run it. Control, direction, purpose. We've got to have control. We've got to have that sense of going somewhere. And it's really interesting if you, I'm not going to go into much detail, but when you look at the temptation that Jesus faced in the desert, it was very refining. What is important to you, Jesus? What is your focus? What is your priority? And in those three questions or challenges that he was tempted on, Satan actually helped Jesus see where he was going. He confirmed it. He reinforced it. And Jesus spent 40 days in the desert praying and fasting and he came out of that pumped. Do you know what he does next? He walks in the temple and he reads from Isaiah and he says, today this is fulfilled. This is happening. This is real and I'm on. I'm not mucking about. I'm not wandering. Now he didn't need to repent. The people needed to repent in preparation in his case. But he was ready. He was pumped up, full of the spirit and ready to go because he knew where he was going. And he was doing it with confidence. He had control. He had, he had the steering wheel by both hands and the rubber was clearly on the road. But then we come to power. And this is often a dirty word in churches. 
But this is what we've got. This is what Jesus gave us. And he modelled it that in his preparation, he even, John the Baptist resisted. This is ridiculous. How can you get me to baptise you? This doesn't make sense. Yet Jesus went, we've got to do this because the Holy Spirit was his power. And if we don't have the power, if we don't have the power of the Spirit leading us, we're going to run out of steam real quick. In Hebrews, we read, we want to run with endurance this race. There's no use running with endurance if you don't have any power. If you've got nothing in the tank, if you don't have that power, then that endurance race is not going to endure very long. So when we look at these three words, when we look at these three ideas, the idea of repentance, the idea of prayer and fasting, and the idea of being set apart, having a direction, having a vision, we're talking about a well-oiled machine, a well-crafted, a well-designed person that is prepared, that is ready. And as a church, we actually want to be that as a church as well as individuals. We want to be able to move forward with effectiveness, with efficiency, with power, with control. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's a mistake that we, we did the groundwork on Nehemiah over camp. And there's a lot of people who've wanted to let go of some things personally, wanted to pick up some things personally. They've gone, I, I let this go and I shouldn't have. And as a church, we want to be prepared. Now, the interesting thing is being prepared can be thought about us being prepared. But in the same way, we've got to realise that we are being prepared by God. There's two ways of looking at being prepared. Sometimes we can get into this works mentality of I've got to try harder. I've got to work harder. I've got to do more. Being prepared is something that God actually does in us. Jesus started that by saying, your sins are forgiven. We can, we can, we can do this. You don't have to jump through hurdles and, and rituals and sacrifices to experience me. Let's do this together. So being prepared is not just, it is not about us working harder. It's about us resonating and being in alignment with what God's doing, accepting the preparation that he's doing in and through us. I'd like us as a church, to step into this next season, we're, we're, we're literally moving from winter into spring right now. I think this is, this is the last week of winter. We're about to head into spring. In two weeks' time, on Sunday fortnight, we celebrate our fifth birthday as a church. And I firmly believe that God has a master plan. He has a plan for this group of people to minister to this community, to make a difference and transform the lives of those that come and share this space and to be a testimony to who he is, both in our lives and the lives of those around us. And I want to be prepared 
I want us to be prepared. I think the question when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? We sometimes take that as a rhetorical question. It's not a rhetorical question. Do we love him? Do we love each other? Do we love our neighbours? They're not rhetorical questions. They're real questions for us to go, what is my perspective? Where am I going? And how am I going to get there? And when I look at those three questions and go, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, I love the people that you've put around me. And yes, I love my neighbours, the people in my community. He says, jump on board, let's go. Let's do this together. And we've got to make that call as individuals and as a church. We've got to go, yes, Lord, we want to be part of being prepared and being effective in what you're calling us to do. We want to be efficient. We want to be controlled. And we want to have your power, your your spirit. So what I'm proposing, what I'm suggesting is that for this next two weeks, that as a church, we pray and we fast. I'm not suggesting that everybody prays and fasts for two weeks. I'm saying let's have a season of prayer and fasting for two weeks so that when we get to our fifth birthday, which was a coincidence, I actually felt like we needed to be praying and fasting for two weeks before I realised that that's what is at the end of the two weeks. But I think it's really significant and important that we stand as people, as individuals, as heads of our family and as parts of this body and go, God, I want to be the most efficient, the most powerful, the most effective, the fruitful person that you want me to be, that you designed me to be, that you planned me to be. And so I'm going to, I'm going to maybe set aside one day each week. There's three types of fasts that are kind of generally mentioned in the Bible. There's many different types of fasts. A Daniel fast is where you forego nice stuff, so you stick to veggies and fruits, is what, what Daniel did. A partial fast is the traditional Jewish fast where you do it from dawn till dusk, like daytime, a period of time, but their, their, their model is, um, is from sunrise to sunset. And then a full fast is where you don't eat anything for a period of time, only, only drinking fluids. Now, I do have to say, if you're pregnant or if you've got health things, then please seek medical advice. Sounds like a little asterisk, doesn't it? But no, in all seriousness, there are significant impacts of fasting to your body, especially if you're doing it for extended periods of time. So I, I don't want to make a suggestion to you that actually has a detrimental effect on your body. So please, if you're going to fast for, for a period of time, um, or if you're concerned about your health, then, then please take that into consideration. But I don't want to play lip service to God to say I love you and not actually live a life that reflects that love for him. I don't want to pay lip service to God and say, yep, I love your body, I love your church, your bride, but actually not be prepared for what that means because that's not easy. Being a body together is not easy. And I don't want to say, God, yes, I love my neighbour and just make it just a statement. I want it to be real. I want to be prepared. So I'd really encourage you to join me in that this next two weeks, to pray, to fast, to seek the Lord and go, God, is there anything here that is not efficient the way you want it to be? 
Is there anything about my direction, about my purpose, about where I'm heading, God, that you want to refine, that you want to give perspective to? Is there anything that is holding me back from what we want to as a church be doing and moving forwards? And my hope is we come together in two weeks' time and we can celebrate what God's done, what God's spoken, how God's shared, what God's done in, in, in you in that time, in that preparation. It's hard to, to talk about acts, actions, and not get confused between a task, a duty, an obligation, and something that you deeply desire. And so I want to make it clear that calling us to do this is because I do deeply desire us to be a healthy church, a fruitful church, a church that ministers to this community and those around us. And so I don't say this, I don't suggest this because we need to, as I mentioned before, work harder. Does, does it make sense? Is that, yeah? Cool. It's really important. It was really, really important that we don't feel like we're obliged to do something that we don't feel we're connected to. But I want to go deeper and I want to reach further and I want to be more effective and I don't want to stop and say it's too hard because I want to be prepared so that when we take those risks, when we do those things, when things do get tough, we can run with endurance. Father, we do love you. Lord, we don't take that lightly. Lord, we choose to follow you. We choose to call you Lord. And Lord, we thank you so much for that sacrifice you made on the cross, for your body broken, a lamb that was slain. And Lord, as a church, as individuals, we, we dedicate ourselves to you, Lord. We surrender to you, Father. Lord, we know you are almighty. You are sovereign. There is none like you. And yet, you choose to know us, that you have a master plan for us, that you want us to participate in. Lord, we don't want to resist that. We don't want to hold anything back from you. We ask, Lord, that these next two weeks we will be able to spend time, quality time with you, Lord God, praying and fasting as an act of worship to show our desire, Lord God, to, to reflect our desire to be where you want us to be to hear what you want to say and to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. Do you want to just do your own, really? Now, um, I, I did say... Um, Jim, that I was going to talk about the rocket again. 
It wasn't so much talking about the rocket. I was going to come back to the rocket. And I've just been glancing out the window to see if it's still. Because that's not my only rocket. Rockets are very efficient. This, this thing is powered. I, I should have brought one in. It's powered by a little cylinder this high, about that wide. It's a tiny little thing. The fins make sure it goes straight. The, the body, nice shape of the body. It's very aerodynamic. And um, it is a beautiful illustration of when you press that button, when you have the power of the Spirit, when, you're, when you've let go of the things that hold you back, when you've let God do that in you and, and you know His plans and purposes. It's an amazing thing to experience. So... Um, I wasn't sure if maybe you want to look at the illustration together outside <laughs> after the service. Um, won't take long. I'm sure the kids would enjoy watching it too. And um, hopefully between us all we can find it.